Welcome to Orioles Review Radio. I am your usual co-host, Sean Luther, here with my uh, semi-usual co-host, at least uh, host emeritus, uh, our editor-in-chief, the, the big overlord, Max Reaper. Max, thanks for uh, coming on as as usual. I am the Ed McMahon to your Johnny Carson <laughs> at this point. Hey, yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, so... Not much has really changed since we last recorded. I think I say that every time, but uh, the team just... There's not a lot of good stuff necessarily to talk about with the big league team, but that's not the focus of this podcast. With the draft coming up, we are going to just... with the Yeah, we're just going to talk about the draft. Does that sound good, Max? It sounds great. It's, it's going to be an important one. The Royals have a bunch of picks in the first uh, two rounds, so um, yeah. we'll see what the Royals do. I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do. Do you... Uh, and, and Patrick Brennan wrote about this, about how uh, important this is. Um, do you have, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you have the primer of uh, what the slot bonus looks like, what the picks are? Do you have that happen to be right in front of you there at all? So the, so they'll have the 18th overall pick, and that's because uh, they were kind of a 500 team last year. Uh, they will get two compensatory picks for losing uh, Lorenzo Kane and Eric Hosmer. Those will be picks number 33 and 34. They would have got one for Mike Moustakas as well, but they yeah. decided to re-sign him. Uh, so that's I think that will have to be consideration at the trade deadline, depending on what they get. Or maybe they'll, they'll get something better than a draft pick for him. That'd be great. Um, and then they'll have a, a what baseball does for the smaller market teams is they have a, a, comp- a competitive uh, competitive pick, balance. I guess. Uh, to, yeah, competitive balance pick to kind of uh, throw a bone to the smaller market teams. And the Royals will have one of those picks in the uh, first tier of teams. Uh, they'll have the 40th overall pick for that. And then, of course, all of their regular second-round pick, number 58. Uh, so that's five picks of the top top 60. That's uh, that's that's pretty nice to have. And with that comes a larger draft bonus pool. So each slot is kind of assigned a value. And so you add all those values up in the first 10 rounds, and that's the max amount you're allowed to spend. You can spend it however you want. If you want to spend it all on your first-round pick, you want to dole it out in equal amounts, do whatever you want. The Royals will have $12.7 million to spend on their draft picks, which is more than any other team. So that's... That's a nice advantage to have, and I know you've yeah. written a little bit about kind of the strategies teams can can use, and the Rays have kind of gamed the system a little bit by having dra- bigger draft bonus pools in the past. I think the Blue Jays kind of did it uh, really well a couple yeah. years ago. Uh, t- you want to talk a little bit about what, what the Royals can do as far as strategies? Sure. So, like, the, the gold standard, I guess, is what the Astros did three years ago. 2015, I think, is what it was. Uh, they had... Did they have the second overall? They had they had several picks early. They have two in the top five, I think it was. And so the the main thing that teams do with multiple picks in the first round, especially with a lot of money, is they'll try to float down a player. Um, they'll they'll have a player they really like, a guy that's considered a tough sign. They'll make him a tougher sign, but they'll say, hey, you know, Joe Smith, if you tell teams that you want this much, you're going to fall, and we'll take you, and we promise you this much. Um, so the Twins, the Twins, the, uh, the Astros did that with the with Daz Cameron and uh, Kyle Tucker, I think is who was the co-pair on that one. I, I might be wrong. It definitely was Daz Cameron. Um, and so they floated Daz Cameron down, uh, I think, into the 30s, uh, which, I mean, he was considered to be top five, uh, but they floated him down. So that's kind of effectively what the the key, the gold standard is with uh, with the drafts, is that being able to move guys down, um, you obviously need to have enough capital to do that because you typically have to pay that guy uh, well, definitely overslot for the the value for the slot you take him at because you know I think Cameron got three and a half. No, I think he got more than that. Um, but he got several million, well, well above the slot of you know maybe only a million, million and a half or less. So 
You definitely have to have the money to do that because you've got to pay guys over slot. But, of course, that also means the first guy you take uh, to save money is you have to then pay him under slot. So it's kind of a balance game on, you know, you don't want to just go take, like what the Royals did, not that Hunter Dozier, when they took him eighth overall, not that he wasn't, you know, a first-round-ish talent. And, you know, he, he, he went well before he, you know, was really thought of going. Um, you know, you can't just take the random 200th best prospect in the eighth overall pick. Uh, so you still have to kind of find a good balance of, you know, a guy who's a legitimate first-rounder that's willing to sign under slot. Usually those are college guys. Um, and then kind of float a number, float a guy down that's going to be a tough sign that you then pay over slot. And so um, the Royals don't necessarily – they don't not have that ability to do that this year. Um, I, I would – in a perfect world, I would rather – I would sacrifice – you know, picks 33 and 34 if I could get pick number five or pick number four. You know, if I could trade those for two higher picks, that's a little better. Um, or trade one of those in the 18th pick for something a little higher just because uh, you've got a lot of teams uh, to go from one to 18, or one to, yeah, 18 effectively, or one to 17, um, where the Angels pick right before. And then you've got, uh, you know, a good chunk of, uh, looks like, what is it? including Tampa, what's it, 13 other teams uh, still, you know, to be picked after. So that's a lot of gaps in there um, that it's going to be not actually tough, but it's going to be a little harder because, one, a lot of the key guys, the guys that you'd want to float down, the Daz Camerons, um, they're probably, they could be picked anywhere but for the first 17. You know, if you've got the third or fourth pick, you've got a safety cushion where you could take them, but... You know, all these teams ahead of them could definitely take them. And um, the big the big hurdle, it seems like it's going to be, is that Tampa has got pick 16, so two picks before the Royals, and then they'll have 31 and 32, their two picks before the Royals. Um, so Tampa doesn't quite have as much slot money because they don't have um, that same competitive balance pick uh, in round A. Uh, so they're a little bit behind, but they they have earlier picks. They've got just as many kind of early picks in the, at least in the first round of the compensation round. Um, and they get their picks quicker, uh, before. So that's going to be the big hurdle. They're usually pretty savvy with the draft. Uh, so any kind of guys that get floated down, I mean, there's no reason why Tampa couldn't necessarily, you know, snatch them from underneath. So that's the big concern, um, at least, but yeah, I mean, the, the Royals are going to have, uh, three, three, three pretty good picks, including the one at 40 as well. So four, uh, pretty early on, that should be able to do something. Um, I, I do wonder yeah. though, at the Ra- if, you know, the Rays being ahead of the Royals, but they may be looking at a completely different bucket of players in yeah. the Royals. I think the Royals tend to go for more of the uh, kind of church-going crowd, whereas the Rays seem to have a reputation of going after the bad boys. Yeah, so yeah. They so, uh, they may be looking at different guys. Yeah, the guy that they, I mean, the guy that they um, that they got for cop- their thirty-second overall pick. Uh, was was Drew Rasmussen, who was um, a Tommy John guy. So I think, yeah, I think the Royals, the the Rays aren't the Rays and the Nationals are two teams that are like you know we don't care we just want the best player you know they they're always yeah. like seeking that value. So the Royals definitely might be looking at something, um, and you know what the Royals draft type is. Um, Baseball America just had an article today. Uh, this is Wednesday, so um, just going over kind of what the the Royals like. Um, do you have that in front of you, Max? Do you want to kind of uh, over overshadow or overshadow? You want to kind of do the overrun on that if you've got it there? Yeah. Well, so the Royals, they you know they looked at the last couple of years of, of drafts from the Royals, and we've kind of looked at this too. You know, the, the Royals under scouting director Lonnie Goldberg have kind of had a preference for high school guys, 
And it's not it's not an overwhelming like you know all prep guys as you might think. Yeah. I think they had them uh, say 40, 40 uh, or excuse me, uh, they they've had a preference towards high school guys uh, in the first couple rounds. But you know certainly they mixed a couple college guys in, and then they they've fifty nine percent of the uh, pit, uh, players they've taken have been pitchers uh, since two thousand fourteen, which is a lot, but it's only eleventh out of the thirty teams as far as percentage of players drafted that are pitchers. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they they seem to have a preference for pitching. Uh, you know, obviously, Dave Morrison, pitching is the currency of baseball, and this is an organization that's always kind of, you know, said, oh, we need to have pitching in Coffin Stadium since it's a, such a big ballpark. And, you know, obviously, a lot of those pitchers haven't panned out. But, uh, uh, you know, we know that they like to go for the for the younger prep guys. You gotta, I think they feel like they can kind of mold those guys. Uh, they're toolsier. They have better up, better upside. I think it's kind of what the Braves did when Dayton Moore was with the Braves. You know, they they really scooped up a lot of the high school talent uh, in the South, especially. So I, I'm not too surprised by that finding at all. I actually would have expected yeah. the Royals to be kind of more yeah. uh, heavier in that area than than uh, than they are. Uh, Matthew Lamar had an article a couple weeks ago about uh, the Cubs' strategy of drafting, saying you know arguing that hey look, Royals can't draft. And develop pitching. I mean, aside from De- Danny Duffy and Jake Junis, they really haven't developed uh, starting pitching talent that they've retained. You know, there's been a couple guys like Sean Manea, Brandon Finnegan, who hasn't really quite panned out. Uh, but those guys, you know, no, no one else that they've really retained that's uh, that's become a, a quality major league pitcher. But they have produced some bats. You know, Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakas and Andrade Dyson, Alex Gordon, even further back. Uh, so maybe, you know, what the Cubs did is they kind of doubled down and said we're going to draft and develop hitters, and, and, and pitching will have to go outside the organization and trade for that or, or look for it on the free agent market. Uh, what, what was your kind of response to, to that strategy, and do you think that's something maybe the world should consider? Yeah, I mean, they definitely are. So let me let me look here because I don't – I think the – let me take a look at the Astros drafts because uh, the two kind of crowd jewels of, you know, dra- of rebuilding is the Cubs and the Astros. Um so the Cubs definitely, yeah, I mean, they definitely went hitter heavy. And, I mean, that's good. And I take, I obviously, I mean, in a vacuum, you, you usually want to go with the hitter over a pitcher. Um, I think Dayton Moore just said the other day on, I think every Sunday it is, that he's on 610 Sports before the game starts. He and Brian LeFevre have an interview session. And I think he kind of just reiterated that statement where um, they're going to try and, you know, build through pitching. And so that's, and it's the currency of baseball. So, yeah, I, I think that. That's what they're going to go for. Um, so let's see. So the Braves, or not the Braves, the um, the Astros, yeah, they went Springer, Correa, Appel, Aiken, Bregman, uh, Tucker, Cameron, Whitley. So, and, of course, they also hit on a bunch of trades. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they built it through hitter, hitter. <laughs> two, both times they took a pitcher early. Uh, one was Mark Appel, who was just awful, got traded to the Phillies, was even worse with the Phillies. And then the other guy's Brady Aiken, who they didn't even sign. Um, a whole thing where they took him one-one, and then they took Bregman uh, with their comp pick for that, who's been who's been great. So the three hits that they've had, Springer, Correa, and Bregman, um, have been I- exactly that. You know, good hitters. Uh, Starters on a World Series team, which yes. is exactly what you want. <laughs> yes, and all three of them. That Springer had strikeout concerns coming out of college, UConn. Uh, but Correa was one of the best guys in the draft. Bregman was a really good hitter at LSU. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, these guys were, you know, great tools. Um, I wouldn't say polished already, but uh, 
Bregman certainly was. Springer a little bit was, um, and then Correa was just a, a complete, you know, tool stud. So it's not not that it's hard to mess up a guy like Correa or, Correa or Buxton, but uh, those guys, you know, are end up usually being pretty good as long as you don't mess them up too bad. So yeah, I, I mean, you look at how the Cubs rebuilt, you look at how the Astros rebuilt. Um, that's, that's probably about it. Now the interesting thing is the Braves, outside of Acuna and Albies. Um, they're kind of doing it the different way. They're going the kind of the old school Braves way of just collecting arms after arms after arms, and they're tied to, I mean, I think it's like as much as I've read four or five different. Obviously, they love Georgia very much, uh, Georgia arms. So, a couple different ways to do it, but I, I definitely think the hitting is the way to do it. I think the Royals are also in a different position than the Cubs, and that the Cubs can go out and buy yeah John Lester, whereas the Royals have to shop in that you know middle market of Jason Vargas types where. There's a little higher volatility. You're probably going to pay for a, a, a bad year at the end. You probably have to overpay for those guys a little bit if you're the Royals. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd go so extreme and say, you know, just double down on hitting. I think you still need to go out and find that pitching. I think the Royals just haven't been very good at it, and it's hard. I'm not yeah. going to, you know, come out and say, you know, it's really they should be hitting on all these pitchers they haven't been hitting. You know, there's a lot of teams that are, are really struggling in developing pitching. The Royals seem to be struggling. I think. <laughs> A bit more than most, mm-hmm. uh, but 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 really, I think it's just a matter of yeah. uh, of, of them not hitting more than uh, you know not going for pitching at all. So yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning the two air quotes the two hits they've had. Manaya and Finnegan. I mean, Manaya was in consideration to go one one until he had his hip issue. So I mean, he was a pretty polished, pretty good. You know, was good at Cape Cod. I mean, he's he was a pretty good college pitcher to begin with and then Finnegan was super polished to begin with so mm-hmm. the two guys they hit didn't even didn't need to take that much developing necessarily it's the raw guys like Ash Russell Foster Griffin uh, Nolan Watson uh, Carter Hope but just I mean those kind of guys that are just super raw that that's where they've really struggled is getting these you know raw pitchers and even with Junis um, Junis I mean not that Junis was super raw but Junis wasn't this fire-throwing, super toolsy, quick-arm kind of guy, he just slowly polished a bit more and more. You know what I'm saying? Like he wasn't mm-hmm. like a guy that goes, you know, this guy could be could be throwing 100 and be a front-line guy. No, I mean, Junis is Junis, so that's it's just difference of they've been taking these super toolsy prep pitchers, and it just absolutely hasn't worked out. Well, and it should be noted, too, like Finnegan and Manaya are probably the two of the better pitchers they developed were both college guys they took in the first round, yeah. whereas Junis and Duffy, the two high school guys oh, that yeah. have panned out, were both, Duffy was what, 7th round or 10th round, something yeah. like that? Yeah. And Junis was in the 29th round. I, yeah, uh, Duffy, so, yeah. I thought Duffy uh, was know, aware of that. Anyway, sorry. Well, yeah, we, we, but, but certainly not the first round. I mean, I think you may want, you know, the first, when you have these first and second round picks, you may want to lean towards more of the polished, polished arms like the college guys. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, you get later in the draft, you and you can throw a bunch of draft picks at some high school prep arms, then then you go for it, and yeah. maybe a guy like Jake, Jake Junis pounds out. So yeah, yeah, and Junis was another guy that got a huge overslot. Uh, got a huge overslot too. I mean, he was a guy that that they played the game right, and you know if you consider mm-hmm. that. Um, Duffy was a third rounder. Uh, I thought I, I thought I was going to say second, but yeah, third rounder. Uh, and th- and kind of going back to draft strategy, I don't like, and this is I, I haven't fully researched this or anything and kind of built an actual kind of thesis out on it but I don't like the Royal I don't really like any team necessarily getting cute in the draft Um, if only because one it's so important to you know hit on draft pick doesn't matter if you're the Yankees or if you're the Royals or the Rays Um, but 
I don't. I'd rather the Royals just take the best player at 18 rather than you know take the 30th best player to go under slot to try to get the guy you want at 33 or 34 or 40. You know, we're in a day and age with the new CBA that basically everybody, and this I have looked at. I want to say there's been three players since 2016 um, that haven't signed. That were first rounders that haven't signed. Two of them. One of them was um, Kyle Funkhauser, who should have signed. His draft stock ended up tanking. Drew Rasmussen, who the Rays have, uh, who the Rays got compensation for. He was a medical issue, and then the Orioles did someone who had a medical issue. I forget who it was. So it's two medical issue guys who they knew were going to be risky, and they took them. They go, we just don't like your medicals. And so they kind of both agreed part of ways, and then Kyle Funkhauser. So pretty much everybody who goes gets picked on day one is going to sign. So I don't think you have to worry about as much those signability issues when you're talking about guys that, you know, when you pop them in the first or second round. Now, if a guy falls to the 28th round, okay, that's a little different. You know, you mm-hmm. can't sign him. You don't can't pick him necessarily because he's probably not going to sign. But when you're talking early on, I'd rather just at 18 and 32 and 33, and, or excuse me, 18, 33, 34, or even 40, just take the best guy. Don't worry about signing him. Don't worry about signability issues necessarily because these guys almost always sign. And even if they... Going into the draft, when you pick a guy, you you should probably assume roughly that you're going to get him for slot. So even if you don't sign him, you're going to lose your slot bonus, but you were, you were going to lose that money anyways because you were going to give that money to that guy. So it's not like you were really necessarily looking for savings, you know, on average roughly. Um, so I don't know. I kind of rather them just take the best guy at 18. Don't worry about trying to go under slot. Just this is the thing. This is the draft where Royals just basically have to take talent. They have to get as much talent as they can. Not try to skim or get this or that. Just take as much talent as you can get. Yeah, I feel like the days of like guys falling for signability reasons are probably coming to an end. At least, you know, if a guy falls because of signability reasons, it probably means he's definitely not going to sign no matter yeah. what. Like teams value prospects so much more than they used to. I feel like if there's a chance a guy's going to sign, they're going to grab. They're not going to yeah. let him fall if he's a top twenty talent. Yeah, uh, and there's so, there's a bit of self self confirmation bias in there too because. They usually, you know, teams will work out the pre-draft deals with the guys to begin with. So right. the guys that they do, the guys that do sign, are the guys that they already knew they were going to sign. So it's a little bit of issue there. But it, overall, yeah, I mean, 18-year-olds and even 21, 22-year-olds, they're not turning down, you know, two million dollars, three million dollars signing bonuses anymore necessarily. Um, because one, I think a lot of them have learned the lesson. That's why it, you know, hasn't happened that much in the past few years. And two, I mean, at the age of 18. You know, the the big thing was people used to go play football. They would go to another sport. Kids, right. kids don't want to go turn down you know two three million dollars to just go get the crap kicked out of them uh, for football. So I don't know. I, I definitely just think just pick the best guy you can get and don't worry about signing him because more than likely he's going to sign it if if you take him in the first two two rounds. Yeah. Well, do you want to uh, look at some mock drafts and then sure. maybe we can talk about some of the guys you yeah. want to highlight or you definitely think might be available. Um, so I guess we'll start with Keith Law because yes. uh, I think he's one of the kind of the gold standards out there, and he, he seems to have the ear of a lot of, of uh, teams and scouts. And uh, he kind of in an article a couple weeks ago he said that the Royals have been kind of all over the place, but that they're they seem to be really zeroed on, in on prep outfielders and prep pitchers. So kind of tying into our conversation about pitching. Uh, but yeah, in this this his latest mock draft he actually has him going for a prep infielder. Uh, Jordan Groshans, I think I'm saying that right, a third baseman out of uh, Magnolia High School in Texas. I don't really know a lot about about this guy. He's ranked 38th um, by Baseball America. Apparently he's 
committed to KU, so uh, you know, as a Jayhawk alum, <laughs> I'll be a little uh, bummed if he doesn't end up going there. But yeah, uh, I, what do you what do you think of Groshans? What's uh, yeah. what's kind of your so there's two, on him? and so this is uh, this is just a preview uh, of the article I have coming out very soon, probably at probably before this podcast hits. Um, Nolan, uh, there's two guys in the draft. Both start with you know. Uh, oh, sorry, Jordan Groshans. I, I almost said Nolan. Uh, Nolan Gorman and Jordan Groshans are the two kind of higher end prep third baseman. Both last names start with the G. That's the connection I was trying to make. Um, <laughs> Gorman is a superpower dude. Issues about his strikeouts. Groshans is a little bit kind of fifties across the board. So there's I think there's some teams that like Gorman more and there's teams that like Groshans more. I think there's probably more teams that like Gorman than Groshans. Um, but Groshans is just kind of like I said, uh, prep guy, kind of 50s, 55s across the board. He's actually has pretty good power. Um, Average-ish or so defense, you know, good arm. He pitched in high school, which, I mean, I think every single baseball prep baseball player pitched at one point in high school. I mean, uh-huh. it's almost not even worth notating anymore because I think everybody pitches in high school. Uh, but... Yeah, Groshans, I really do like Groshans. I think I actually like him more than Gorman, um, who's going to get a lot more heat and is definitely definitely going to go earlier. Uh, Gorman's probably going to go in the top ten. Groshans probably going to go in roughly around the range of the Royals pick. So I do like uh, Groshans as kind of a guy who can stick at third base. Um, he's athletic enough for a third baseman. Uh, he can hit. He's got power. He makes contact. So, I mean, yeah. He's just kind of your solid everyday guy where Gorman, the other alternate, um, he's a guy that, you know, if the hit tool comes around more, he could hit, you know, 40 home runs uh, and be just uh, an elite third baseman as far as uh, offensively. So, uh, But I do like Rochamps. And we should add the caveat. I know most of our listeners probably understand this already, but when you're talking about the baseball draft, some people might be saying, hey, well, we don't need a third baseman. We've got yeah. Cheslow Cuthbert and Hunter Dozier and, and, and there's some other guys, but... You know, in the baseball, it's going to be years before we see these guys. Yeah. If the Royals were to take a prep player, they won't be here until 2022. Yeah. So, and I'm, you know, by that time, Hunter Dozier will be well into his 30s by then. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you draft, you don't draft based on need. You don't draft based on your, necessarily your, at least in the first round or two, you draft the best player available, best, you know, player you think can impact your organization the most, uh, yeah. and don't look to fill needs. You fill needs maybe later in the draft if you need pitching. In, in round five, you can start loading up on pitching at that point. But uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, position should be a, a, a difference. Years um, ago, years ago, a lot of people were worried about the Rangers and say, "Oh my God, why do the Rangers keep signing these middle infielders? They, they're right. already stacked." <laughs> and it's Profar, Sardinas, Odor, and there was someone else. Well, I mean, Andrews already. Yeah, it, yeah, and Andrews, and, and you know, Andrews is fine. Sardinas was awful. Profar ended up being a bust. Odor's kind of, I mean, you know, they said stop this, you know, you guys have too many good middle infielders, like, well, no, just just worry about getting as much yeah. good players as you can, don't care about having too many, you know, you can never have too many good players. It usually works itself out, yes. and if it doesn't, you can always move a guy to the outfield, you yeah. can make a trade. Or you can trade him, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's ways of working it out, so uh, as far as, like, power potential, like, because it seems like the Royals last year, they really just didn't seem to care about power all that much, I mean, they seem to. I mean, they believe in Prado's power potential. And he has it. He's hit for some kind of surprising power so far this year. But the rest of the draft, I thought, was pretty power absent. Would, would Groshans maybe start to show that they're interested in power again? Um, I think Gorman would be the guy if they that would show that they're into power. Um, I've got like a nice. Uh, let me actually pull it up here. 
so I don't tell Fangraphs I did this, but I took all their data for their draft rankings. So, like for instance, uh, Fangraphs uh, they gave Groshans or not? Yeah, gave Groshans. Uh, let me see. Yeah, so 55, basically 55-ish, 50, 55-60 raw power, and then uh, 55 future game power. Uh, so when you see the power tool, so I mean that's good. You see the power, the current power and the raw power, the game power. I guess you call it the game power and the raw power as the same. That means the guy's accessing it, but it's a you know it's fifty five sixty. So it's not it's not huge. It's not Mike Mustakis, Solaire esque, or like, like I said, Norlin Gorman esque. But um, it's good. I mean it's not non existent. And with you know the context skills that he can show, uh, Groshans, it could play up absolutely, especially with maybe a swing change and. Heck, if he gets to the major leagues with if the you know quote unquote juice ball is still around, I mean, hey, I mean, nobody saw Whit Merrifield hitting almost twenty home runs, so there's no reason why a guy uh, Groshans who has more power than Merrifield, you know, couldn't be a, a home run threat. So keep all in addition to Groshans, he says the Royals have been linked to a couple of other prep outfielders, uh, Connor Scott, uh, Jackson uh, Kalenic, um out of Wisconsin. And uh, I guess maybe one of the more intriguing guys, Jordan Adams, an outfielder from North Carolina that uh, MLB.com actually mocks to us as well. Adams is kind of interesting. He's the toolsy outfielder. Uh, In fact, he's so toolsy that he's also committed to play football at the University of North Carolina where his dad is a coach. Yep, D-line. Yeah. uh, Clint Scholes at Baseball Perspectives Kansas City had kind of an interesting series of tweets about Adams and and, and go, uh, being against yeah. drafting football players. I know we have the tradition of the Royals drafting Bo Jackson as well as Deion Sanders when he was a high school player, John Elway when he was a high school player. Uh, but his his argument, and of course Bubba Starling not that long ago, uh, his argument is that, you know, look, you're dealing with, when you have a high school player, you're dealing with the usual leverage of, well, if you don't pay me, I'm going to college. Well, the football player also has the leverage of, if you don't pay me, I'm going to play football in college, which yeah. is just an added kind of uh, added leverage yeah. Yeah. and you know you get some issues of commitment what's your are you how serious are you about playing baseball and it's it's usually more trouble than it's worth so you know what do you what do you think about with Adams I mean he, yeah. he obviously has a lot of speed he's got power he's got kind of the five the raw five tools is he is he worth the headache yeah Clint and I are, are not are very rarely on the exact same page with things um, and it's good there's some nice you know dissonance between us um, we're both on the same page when it comes to Adams. I don't think either of us are big fans. Uh, a, given the Royals' history of you know developing types like him, and then B, the volatility that comes with a guy who you know has already had he's super raw to begin with, uh, really really good athlete, but extremely raw. And I mean, I don't know how to say this, but he he he's been playing football for a while. Uh, you know he. He's been taking hits and blows, and who knows, kind of, if there's not a mental issue, but, you know, he could have a concussion. You know, there's things that playing football for, you know, 10 years of your life, and, and I play football for for that long, you know, it, it comes with a potential side effect of, you know, taking hits and beatings over and over again. Um, so who knows what that could be doing to someone's uh, brain through all that time. Uh, so uh, Adam's... Like I said, Clint and I are on the exact same page of that where we're not too big of fans of, of taking him because of the world's history. And because, yeah, I mean, I'd rather have, like, the basketball player, uh, the, the guy who played basketball in high school rather than the guy who played football in high school. Yeah, I and mean, he seems to kind of fit. I mean, obviously his biggest 
uh, scale is speed. Yeah. He's going to play wide receiver. Yeah. At North Carolina, if he ends up going there. And you, you kind of see how, he, like, the Royals would love that kind of toolsy guy uh, roaming center field in Kauffman Stadium yeah. with, with some pretty good pop. I mean, if, yeah. if they were yeah. to take him, was would he be as raw as, like, a Bubba Starling? Or, or is it well, like, I know the talent level in North Carolina is probably a little bit better than yeah. the camps. So, kind of like going back to, okay, uh, so I'm thinking, like, best case scenario, if you think that you develop Adams exactly as you kind of might expect to develop. I mean, you're talking like a 50, probably a 50 hit tool, 50-ish power, um, obviously like an 80 runner, um, an okay arm, you know, a good fielder. I mean, if it's not like Byron Buxton where you're talking a guy who could be plus every single thing across the board. Adams, if he hits his upside... I mean, yeah, he's an everyday kind of player, um, but it's not like, you know, what's the risk-reward there? You know, you're, you're risking using your 18th pick on a guy with a high, high level of kind of volatility, a guy who, I don't know what odds you might put it at, but a, a guy who is has maybe higher, than, definitely higher than most chance to bust. And even if it hits, even if it reaches the 70th you know, percentile outcome, you're still talking a guy who's, you know, an average hitter, really, really good runner, good fielder. I mean, okay arm. You know, it's not like you're going all out for Starling. Starling, you know, could have had, you know, 70, 65 power, you know, huge runner, huge arm, extremely fast, could be a 45, 50 hitter if it came around. So, I mean, Starling's tools and Adam's tools are, aren't very close as far as even currently. Um you know, as both draft prospects and kind of what you could have dreamt with Starling against what you can dream with Adam. So that's the other reason why I'm not quite on the board because even if it pays off, it, it's not that big of a payoff if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kalenic, I think I call him Jackson. It's actually Jared yeah, Kalenic. Jared. Uh, and am I saying that right? Is it Kalenic or Kalenic? I think it's Kalenic. Yeah, Kalenic. Kalenic. Okay. So he seems like the more like the more the most one of the most polished. Yeah prep outfielders in this draft. Doesn't seem like there's a great chance he'll be available at 18, yeah. but um, Melissa Lockard at the Athletic linked him to the Royals. Um, he's out of Wisconsin, which is a cold-weather state, but what's kind of your impression of Kalanick at this point? Yeah, I love him. Um, he's a guy that has a ton of ton of heat um, this winter. He moved up boards. I mean, all he did was hit. Um, he's a really interesting story because uh, I'm going to see if I get this right. He, so... We, so, like, with the Mets and Brandon Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo's from Wyoming, and they don't have high school baseball in Wyoming, so it's really tough to see guys from that. Wisconsin has baseball, but they don't even get started, and I, and I just looked this up uh, when I was writing my draft article. Um, his high school, Waukesha West High School, their first game was, their first game of the season was last week, I want to say. <laughs> it it might have been, whatever, May 23rd or something. So... If you were going to go see, you know, Jared play, you would have had to, you would have been seen him play two weeks before the draft uh, yeah. for the, your first look. Uh, so uh, he actually graduated early, uh, and he joined like a, a pretty nice travel team. So thankfully, teams were able to see him, and all he's done is move up boards. I I, I really really love him. Um, another one of those guys who can, you know, I know Adams. I was complaining about Adams being kind of average toolsish across the board plus the eighty run, but. 
Kelnick is kind of already present a lot of good tools. Even if he ends up being 50-55s across the board, he's got kind of, if he can stay in center field, and that's kind of one of the questions about him, um, he's a guy that I kind of comp to Shane Victorino, David DeJesus kind of guy where, you know, good speed, can play the outfield, can get on base, um, has some power, could hit 15-20, makes contact. One of the guys that, you know, going to be underrated overall, you know, kind of in baseball, but is still a guy that, you know, I originally thought Adam Eaton was a good one, and I think he gets, I think uh, Kelnick gets comp to Mark Kotze a lot. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of an interesting one, but uh, yeah, I mean, something along a guy like that that I think is uh, exactly would be something I would I would love to take. Um, he is 19, the other big red flag, not just the cold weather state, but he's also 19. Um, which he's definitely, and that was Bubba Starling's age as well. So he's definitely old for the draft class, which is a red flag in and of itself, especially for hitters. For pitchers, it's not that big of a deal, but for hitters, it's it's a much much bigger deal. So there are some red flags. Cold weather state, you know, older, but I do really really like him. I, I don't think he's going to be around at eighteen, but I do like him. Yeah, and he, and it's not like he's just played Wisconsin area talent. He's you know been on some big stages and national tournaments and has, yeah. has done well. So. Um, but yeah, Wisconsin has definitely not been a hot bit of talent. There has been one first-round pick uh, that's been drafted as a high school player out of the state of Wisconsin in the last 30 years. That was in 2016 when the Dodgers took Gavin Lux. Yeah, Gavin Lux. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it, has, it hasn't. It's not exactly a state that's producing a lot of baseball yeah. talent. But yeah. Kelnick, I guess his dad owns a lot of indoor facilities. JJ yeah, Watt, indoors. I guess, works out there. So yeah. Yeah. he's definitely gotten some a lot of baseball. Uh, baseball playing in and so yep, your typical gamer grinder that uh plays the game well so yeah, he's a guy that i i mean i, I would definitely I, I like him as an 18th if he's there i don't think he will be but that's a guy that's that's i'm definitely up with and there's another guy i'll just talk real quickly about uh nick schnell who's kind of the similar thing mm-hmm. um similar ish as far as with uh Kellenick, who's kind of uh a good outfielder kind of 50s across the board he's also he's from indiana which is, is you know cold weather ish state, but they play all year round or not all year round, but they they, they don't start May twenty third. They start a little earlier, um, and a little bit different in the sense that uh, Schnell Hardy kind of has some of above average raw power. You know he doesn't not make contact, but he's kind of he's a little thin and he's going to fill out a lot better. He's already a pretty good runner, uh, good fielder, so he. Uh, Kelnick, Nick Schnell, and then I think you mentioned Connor Scott, and I'll just mm-hmm. continue on to Connor Scott. Um, are three guys I, I like, three kind of prep outfielders I definitely like. Connor Scott's from the same high school that um, uh, Kyle Tucker, uh, who is the Astros pick in 2015, uh, I think fourth overall. Um, both went to, both from Plant High School down in Texas. Uh, both have almost the kind of same similar Ted Williams esque setup at the plate, where they got the kind of bat sticking out. Um, but Connor Scott's a lot better athlete. Doesn't have quite the power that Tucker has, but uh, he, Scott, Kellenick, and Schnell are three pepper outfielders that I, I'm definitely in on, and, and I really like, especially, I like, I don't know which one I might like of the three, but um, those are three guys that I'm definitely in on, and I'm glad to see them tied to at least two of them. Yeah, CBS Sports has linked Scott to the Royals, and uh, Kylie McDaniel at Fangraphs, I guess, Really was impressed by Connor Scott. Thinks he should yep. be a top ten pick, and he th- it seems like he's rising up boards a little bit. Yeah. I've seen the Rays link to him a, bu- a couple of times at sixteen. Uh, so he's a guy that could be in play with the Royals, but he might be he might be scooped up just before they pick. So uh, be interesting to see if they 
they can grab, uh, you know, if they go in that direction with a prep outfielder. If they don't, though, Baseball America has a Royals link to Noah Naylor, an infielder from Canada, yeah. from the uh, Toronto area. Uh, you know, we haven't seen the Royals go, you know, scout much in Canada, or, you know, draft too many Canadian yeah. players. Yeah. Uh, what's your kind of your impression of Noah Naylor? What kind of yeah, player, another know? guy, another guy I really like. Um, brother was Josh Naylor, the Padres, uh, drafted by the Marlins, traded to the Padres. Uh, I think he's in Double A now, um, and he's really turned it on. Uh, Noah Naylor is really weird because he, I think, in his career, and, and you know, I call it his career, his prep career. I think he's played third. He's played catcher, third. Uh, he's taken some reps at shortstop, and teams think he could end up at first or second base, and some even think there's an outside chance of him playing in the outfield. So he's going to, at you know, at some point in the next four or five years, he's going to be playing somewhere. It's just unknown where. And you would imagine they'll start him a catcher and then maybe move him to third or second, then the outfield. So first is, thankfully first, so his brother... Josh Naylor is an absolute first base only. He's a big guy. Um, Noah's a little leaner, um, so you would think he goes, you know, catcher where he's got a really good arm um, and he's athletic for a guy that that his size. Uh, and then maybe third base, and then shortstop probably is unlikely. Probably third or second, and then in the outfield. But I, I definitely like Naylor. Uh, yeah, as you said, the Royals haven't grabbed many guys from from Canada, uh, but Naylor's a guy that's. You know, already got pretty good power. He's athletic kind of for a guy his size. Um, Noah Naylor, I think, was in two or three home run derbies. And he was in one in Miami. And he just killed balls at uh, Marlin Stadium. So, or whatever it is, whatever it's called now. Um, He absolutely destroyed it. So, there's a lot to like with Naylor. Um, You know, the prep hitters are some of the Royals have at least done okay-ish. Uh, turn into you know actual legitimate players, and so I, I like Naylor. I like Naylor, even if we don't know where the heck he's going to be playing. I do like Naylor. If you want to go for a deep dive too, the Baseball America goes all the way to the compensatory rounds, and so looking at 33 and 34, they have the Royals taking Kumar Rocker, a high school pitcher out of Georgia, who I love the big body pitcher, not like the fat, <laughs> yeah, uh, not necessarily the fat guys, but, you know the yeah. bigger body. Yeah. Uh, you know, guys that can, you know, already have the big frame. I see them as workhorses or guys that can, can be a little more durable. That are, you know, usually they aren't max effort guys. Uh, Rocker is the son of a former NFL player, Tracy Rocker, for the Redskins. Uh, has, seems to have pretty, pretty good stuff. Fastball in the upper nineties at times. Yeah. Um, is he is he going to be there at thirty two? And then and is um, what, what kind of red flags are we looking at? No, I think. 32 is probably a little too strong. Um, Rocker going, uh, well, yeah, I guess that's fair to say. At least fair, I should say. Um, Rocker going into the draft was, if not the best uh, prep pitcher, he was at least one of the best prep pitchers in the class. Um, so he should have, I mean, he was in consideration. You know, right-handed, right-handed prep guys don't typically go 1-1, but... If there was a guy that was going to go one 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 two one three ish, I mean Rocker was up in that conversation, um, but he had a hamstring in- injury, and then some other guys, just particularly in Georgia, the Cole Wilcox, um, Cole Wynn guys, other prep pitchers in Georgia just kind of outperformed him. So Rocker kind of fell down the pack. Um, I don't think he's going to be available at thirty three, thirty four. I think he gets snagged before that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I, I and I kind of like Rocker a little bit too. I thought he kind of looked like young uh, Miguel Sano, kind of that big body, kind of mm-hmm. that, that tall butt, as they would call. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hits 98 on the fastball. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I like Rocker a bit. Uh, pretty, I wouldn't say he's super raw, but he's definitely a guy that's got some refinements to go, commands a little low, but yeah, I mean, big fireball thing um, on both the fastball, and he's got that power slider, and then the changeup needs to come around just a little bit, so you have to work on command and changeup, maybe two things that aren't the Royals' forte, command and changeup, um, but yeah, I mean, Rocker, if Rocker was available at 33, that's, I mean, if you said that three, four months ago, you would have asked, I don't even know what you would have said, but you would not have thought you could get Rocker, so. Yeah. Uh, and then MLB.com and their mock draft also has the Royals linked to Rocker. They they don't have him picking him uh, because he's off the board, but uh, other names that they guy, have. The, I'm sorry. Oh, he's a Vandy guy. So that kind of also yeah. pushed him down as his commitment to Vanderbilt, just uh, worth mentioning. Well, the other names that they have with the Royals, associated with the Royals are high school infielder Jeremiah Jackson, high school pitcher Anthony Siegler, and high school pitcher Mike Vassell, who actually withdrew his yeah. name from the draft. This week, kind of an odd move, but uh, it seems that either the these writers have a strong feeling that the Royals are going to go for yeah. high school talent, or they know the Royals are going to go yeah. for high school talent. I don't know. I, I guess is that what you would anticipate? Yeah, uh, Jackson's. I think Jackson's been comped to the Royals at forty. I want to say, or at least 33, yeah. 34, 40 on several different mocks, um, and so it seems like if he's there, he's going to be taken, and he's kind of the guy that the Royals might like. Um, I'm trying to think of kind of the best way to describe him. He's he's a very good shortstop, so he's, but he's, uh, he's really tough to kind of put it put into words. So, some people think he's going to stay at short. He might move to second. He might move to left field. He might move to third base. There's some ideas, but the idea is that he's going to play in the infield. Athletic, super athletic, kind of twitchy guy. Um, I described him in my draft, kind of profile as being wiry um that's kind of i think is a very good word for what he is um makes a contact a little bit of power i mean if you looked at him you might not be impressed with the power but i think once he gets in the box and you kind of see him hit and especially if he continues to grow because like i said he's wiry so you could definitely see him uh turning something a little better that a little bigger that yeah i mean jackson's definitely a guy that i think the royals definitely take and i started off my list with jack with jackson because I'm. I would bet a lot of money that if he's available at 34 or 40, he's going to be a royal. So let's say they do go for like a college guy. Yeah. Uh, is there like at 18? I mean, there's a couple of guys. I like Jonathan India a lot at Florida. Yeah. Um, I like uh, uh, Logan Gilbert at Stetson a little bit. I think reminds me a little bit of you squint of Jacob Degrom. Maybe not as much. Velocity. Who are some names you think uh, would be pretty attractive if they kind of if the Royals were, were going to go the college route? Yeah, I don't. I just so the kind of the the uh, the the strength of this draft, the depth part of it is uh, prep pitchers. So I just mm-hmm. don't think that there's going to be a college guy necessarily that's going to be around at that pick at 18. That would really you know make sense for the 18th pick. There's going to be a lot of prep pitchers and yeah, and then kind of a somewhat equal amount of prep hitters right around there, um, which is probably what they'll go with. Uh, one guy that I know that uh, Patrick Brennan, uh, fellow writer on the site, is a big fan of is um, – I always get his dang name wrong. 
Trevor Larnarch. Uh, that's a tough one to say. Uh, I need to make sure I said it right. I've got it written here. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Trevor Larnarch. I always want to put the Linarch, but it's Larnarch. Lar, no, okay. Larnatch. Sorry. Uh, goes to Oregon State. Uh, like I said, Petrick's a big fan of him there. He's kind of, kind of interesting in that. I mean, if you looked at him, so like Michael Conforto, who went to uh, Oregon State, uh, you look at him, you go, okay, this guy's got easy plus power. He looks really, really good. Uh, Lamatch actually has pretty good power for a guy his size. He's not necessarily uh, big. I mean, he's kind of nice. And, I wouldn't call him squat, but he's definitely a guy that's going to under underrate his kind of power, and that's kind of part of his own issue too. Is that he's a guy that I know I, I've read reports, and you know, obviously I've never seen him. Uh, that say that he goes opposite field too much. Uh, so they're saying, well, you know, he kind of doesn't tap in his power because he's, you know, why isn't he pulling the ball? He's going opposite field. Um, so that's one that kind of is the reason why he's kind of moved down a bit. And then there's some strikeouts concerns that kind of also take away to the power. So uh, he's interesting. He's got some flags. He's kind of a below average runner. And he's, he's definitely a below average runner. And he's kind of a below average fielder and he's kind of left field only at this point so it's really kind of on the bat and then you've got you know the issues with the strikeout and then well he has power but is he really going to get to it so i don't know he's a guy that i think Fangraf said that like for the super analytical teams this is the kind of guy that you might like hits the ball extremely hard and walks uh, but there's some red flags. But I know our own Patrick Brennan's a big fan of him, um, and, and I too, and I like him too. So that's the guy that could, is probably most likely to be around if we were looking for a college guy. But then again, I, I think that at that spot, it's going to be mainly prep and um, prep pitchers and prep pitters. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong too, but I know there have been a lot of studies about which is the safest position to draft. Am I wrong in thinking college outfielders was one of the safer? Yeah, college. Yeah, yeah. College hitters, definitely, and I kind of looked at this a bit. I was college hitters, college pitchers, prep pitchers, co- uh, prep, no, prep hitters, prep pitchers. I think that's the order. Mm-hmm. It was definitely yeah. college hitters first, absolutely. Yeah. So, it seems unlikely the roles would go that route. Yeah, uh, I, think I can't Christian, think of, who was Christian the last Blown college, college hitter they took? Yeah, college hitter, last college hitter they took was Christian Cologne, I want to say. Yeah. The last college outfielder be, I mean, I guess Alex Gordon doesn't count. Yeah. So it would be Chris. No, Chris Lebanski was a high schooler. Yeah, I'm looking through so, right now. So man, yeah, you're going back to who? Pepper. No, Jake Gerke was a pitcher. Oh my God. No. Nope. It he, might be. Yeah, maybe like 80s. D like Brown. Yeah. D John. John Morris out of Seton Hall. I'm like 81. Johnny so, Damon was a. Yeah. I'm, I don't, <laughs> it's been a while. Oh my God. Have they ever? I'm thinking at least first round. Yeah. I don't see a single. Oh, here we, yeah, John Morris. Yeah, Seton Hall. Wow, John it was John Morris. Yep. <laughs> I just kind of threw that out there. Yep. Not even, uh, yeah. And then uh, they took, in 1981, another uh, college outfielder from USC in the first round. 1981, Dave Leeper. Dave Leeper. Uh, if that name rings a bell. <laughs> so, anyway. I think, I think he got a cup of coffee, maybe. But, oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's, John, John Morris, I believe, was traded to the Cardinals for Lonnie Smith. So, he contributed yep. to our 85 World Series team. <laughs> so, it's been a, been 30-plus years, almost 40 years since they've taken a, <laughs> a college outfielder. So, and, yeah, you know, that could, 
that can change at any moment. I mean, I you know I, that's obviously not like uh, a organizational philosophy, but yeah, that's just yeah. I never I had never noticed that. That's that's insane. Yeah, huh. uh, <laughs> and I'm not really expecting that to change. No, uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Well, are there any other names you want to kind of throw out there um, as maybe personal favorites or, or guys you think are intriguing? Yeah, and I'm just I'll just be and this will post after my my this will post bef- before I end up publishing. No, I'm sorry. My list will come out before this podcast. Um, but just kind of, and so I'm, don't, I'm not spoiling anything really. Um, I like Ethan Hankins, and I'm just going to kind of go down just to some guys nip out with me. Um, <clears throat> Ethan Hankins is a guy that was supposed to probably go one one or one two, but um, had some shoulder issues, was out for a little while there. Um, was ex- had a, a ton, a ton of helium. Not even helium. I mean, he was supposed to be, like, one of the first picks, so it's not like he just came out of nowhere. But he was, like, extremely, I said dazzling in my profile. Um, definitely a guy that just wowed scouts, wowed teams, uh, was a 70-80 fastball, good changeup, and, you know, an even better curveball, had some command. I mean, he was a guy that they were, you know, teams were jumping all over, but then the shoulder started barking, um, missed a missed a bunch of time I think he just got back on the mound maybe two three weeks ago so missed gap during all that time all the other like I said a bunch of other Georgia prep pitchers um, came up and performed well and moved themselves above Hankins which uh, like same thing with uh, Rocker with Hankins you know four months ago if you said well no Hankins probably might fall to 18th might probably going to fall to the 30s but 18 or so you know you would have thought I was crazy, but yeah, I mean, Hankins is a guy I like, um, could end up being the steal of the draft, if you buy in the medicals, and if you think the stuff comes back, uh, but the shoulder injury really is a thing, um, that I think is gonna, I think he goes before 33-34, particularly since, um, the Rays have that 31-32 pick, the Rays would absolutely take Hankins, I would imagine, and they took Drew Rasmussen, kind of a similar guy last year, uh, at their, at whatever it was, that, that's why they got their comp pick this round. Um, I do like Anthony Siegler, uh, another Georgia guy. There's a million Georgia guys in this draft, as usual. Um, Siegler is a switch-hitting, switch-throwing catcher who also, as a kicker, is an ambidextrous reliever. Um, so switch-hits, huh. switch-pits, switch-throws. Or switch-hits, switch-throws, and then also switch-pitches. Um, and so I like Siegler. He, I think Fangraphs comped him a little bit to MJ Melendez um, as far as the best defensive prep catcher maybe in the draft. I think Melendez is a little better of a, of a defender at you know at their draft point, but Siegler's a better hitter already. And so mm-hmm. I really like Siegler. He's particularly athletic for a catcher, um, a little better hitter, you know, not that far off uh, Melendez-wise for, for uh, defensively. So this is a guy that if the Royals took Siegler, I would actually probably put Siegler above Melendez, even – even though Melendez has a 380 or 380 ISO or whatever, a 600 slugging percentage right now. Um, uh, Tristan Beck, real quick. Tristan Beck went to, is from Stanford. He missed basically all of 2017. Was a top pick, but his back had an injury, and now he hasn't quite bounced back uh, the way he was. But he could be a potential steal as a guy who was supposed to go very early in 2017. Um, uh, let's see. 
Uh, Matt McLean is a second baseman uh, from California, a prep second baseman from California. I love undersized uh, second baseman who can make contact and run well. That's what Matt McLean can do. Uh, Parker Meadows is a guy, another guy from Georgia. Um, Meadows might sound familiar because his brother is Austin Meadows for the Pirates. Um, not as good as a hitter as his brother was. So, you know, Parker Meadows will probably go 30, the 30s or 40s or so. Um, but I do like him. Seth Beer is probably going to be a guy that a lot of, maybe not a lot of people might be familiar with, but he's definitely a guy that if if you have a passing interest in the draft, you've definitely heard of Seth Beer, not only because of his name, but because he's absolutely destroying um, the SEC right now at Clemson. But he's a one, he's a first baseman, DH only kind of guy um, who will give you zero uh, defensive value and base running value, but a lot, a lot of power will absolutely crush the ball when he gets a hold of it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's other guys I could go on, but, you know, these are all... I talk about all these in the article that's going to come out. Um, so that's probably it. There's there's one more guy, actually, I figure I want to talk about. Uh, Bryce Turing. Um, I said in my draft piece that it's weird that you have both the, the presumably number one prep pitcher and the presumably number one prep hitter in the draft both fall. Um, so Bryce Turing... And Ethan Hankins and even kind of Kumar Rockerish, um, they were expected to be maybe not in the running for one one. Um, both of them are going to go later now. Hankins was due to injury. Turing is just due to just didn't do that well. I think a lot of I read uh, a lot was that he uh, was just lazy. Um, but he's a shortstop that they thought that you know could field well, could run well, could hit, have a little bit of power potentially when he grew, um, but. He just, he just wasn't impressive. I mean, simple as that. He was super impressive, um, and for the past two years, he's been in conversation to be one of the guys that was going to go one-one. Uh, but he just, I don't know. He just never really showed up. I guess you could say. So he's a guy that, you know, in 2017, last year, you could have, you know, if you said, hey, the Royals have a shot at Bryce Turing, you said, well, okay, the 2017 team must have been terrible to get the number one overall pick to get Turing, but. He could be in play at 18. Um, probably not likely he's there at 33, 34. But, I mean, at 18, he's a guy that, you know, along with Rocker, along with Hankins, along with uh, and then Turing, another guy that you could take a good hard look at as someone you wouldn't have been able to get four months ago. Uh, one, I guess there's one college arm that, I was, that just is kind of intriguing to me. Just I think uh, he just stands out literally is, is Sean Jelly at Kentucky just because he's six foot eleven and yeah. – you know, the Royals love tall pitchers. Uh, and you think, oh, yeah, Randy Johnson. But, like, he doesn't really throw that hard. No, he throws, not like, at all. In the, yeah. low, in the low 90s. And you're like, well, maybe, like, you find his mechanics and he can become a hard thrower. And so I think for that reason alone, I, I guess yeah. kind of intriguing. But yeah. uh, I don't, you know, he's already a college pitcher. And I don't know how much velocity he can add. Um, but, I don't know. I guess we've seen guys take some. Velocity jumps with with development uh, yeah. at the professional level, and yeah. maybe it just takes some refinement. But yeah, uh, he definitely, he's definitely not weird to see like pitch. But yeah, six eleven guys, and there's a non-zero chance that he does grow up. I mean, grow up that he does fill out a little bit more. Uh-huh. Um, the Royal the Royals had Cole Win, who they were thinking would fill out a little bit more. He was six ten. I want to say Cole Way, mm-hmm. not Cole Win, Cole Way. Yeah. Um, Oh my God! Yeah, watching watching uh, Adeli pitch is just very very weird because of that's how tall and lean he is. 
but it seems, seems like, like for a while they were like really into like, like huge like, like Tyler Sample was like six eight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's like a string of guys that were just like you had to be like six foot six to pitch for the Royals at one yeah. point. And I think they've gotten away from that quite a bit uh, lately, and I know you know I think a lot of those taller guys didn't pan out. So yeah, Colway and not Nick Spark Nick Sparks. I forget who it was. There was a guy that picked up weighted balls and, like, gained five miles per hour for the Royals. Glenn Sparkman? No, it wasn't Sparkman. Um, yeah, it wasn't Sparkman. It was another guy that, like, never pitched. And then they said, oh, well, here, why don't you learn weighted balls? But he was a huge tall guy. So, yeah, they've got a bunch of guys that, you know, for some reason, they, they do have, they do like some tall guys. Scoglin. I mean, Scoglin's not short. and He's kind of a mm-hmm. thing. Right. Uh, you know, college guy from uh, USF and, you know, polished but underwhelming kind of stuff and that I mean yeah that's what a while is or a jelly excuse me yeah so, I don't know that's definitely a guy well uh, the Royals really need to nail it they've had years yeah. of poor drafts <laughs> I had to chuckle a little bit I know Jeffrey Flan- Jeffrey Flanagan does a lot of really good work but uh, he he oh, had a piece yeah. in his draft piece last last <laughs> week where he said the Royals dra- recent drafts have had hit have been hit and miss which I think is putting it very yeah. very <laughs> Very up. Very, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and the one hit he was able to mention was was Brandon Finnegan, who's been pretty much a little uh, replacement level pitcher, and yeah. he's been hurt much of his career. But he did he did net Johnny Cueto. I guess that's that's worth something. But uh, the Royals really need to to nail this one. You've written, I think, quite a bit about yeah. Ronnie Goldberg, uh, scouting director, and how he has, has not really gotten the job done. I mean, do you think? I mean, do you do you think his job is in, in je- any kind of jeopardy at this point? No, because he's like Dayton's guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, not that they would have fired him already, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Moore and Piccolo, I, I think they think they're doing a good job. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, they might have, they obviously have more information than I do, but it's like, I think that they think like, oh, we drafted pretty well, you know, maybe not as well as we'd have liked, but no worse than other teams necessarily, but it's like, I haven't had any indication, or nor have I heard them say, you know, hey, we need to draft better. Now, would a GM ever come up and say that? Not necessarily. Um, but I think nothing has changed. I mean, they haven't done anything with the new scouting director. They haven't really changed much. Um, there's been very little turnover as far as what I've ever heard um, in their scouting. You know, they did they did rework some of their analytical department, and it seems like they're trusting them some more. But what impact does that have when it comes to you know drafting? That's not a high impact part of drafting necessarily, you know, because you don't have stat cast information on these guys, um, and you've got basically what every other team has available when it comes to trackman kind of data. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think Goldberg's in any kind of pressure. I mean, who knows? He hasn't been fired yet, and the draft is coming up, and so you you figure he at least has this draft, and so. Mm-hmm. what's going to be the catalyst to get him fired? Because if he's not been fired to handle the most important, if he's still around to handle the most important draft they've had in, you know, 20 years maybe, then uh, what's going to be the catalyst? I mean, in December, are they going to go, oh, man, you just had a bad draft? But then it's like, well, it's only been four months. How do you know how good my draft was or wasn't? So I don't see how Goldberg's going to get fired anytime soon, for better or for worse. Um, I'm up for him changing my mind. I, you know, I hope he drafts well, but he's... I don't have much confidence, if only because, you know, I don't know. What confidence has he been able to instill? So. And they, they always seem to push back, too, and they're always like, you know, our, we think our system is a lot better yeah. than the, the analyst, which 
I get, yeah, I know, I don't, yeah, I don't expect them to go say, yeah, our system sucks. We can do a terrible <laughs> They're right. Job. Yeah, they're right. But, uh, our system sucks. And, and I get, you know, look, I know they have Suli Matias and Khalil Lee and MJ Melendez and Nick Prado are, are playing pretty well off to an early start, but they're also in A ball. Yeah. And every team in baseball, except for maybe the Mariners, has a couple guys like that, yeah. and then they have a lot more, and then they have pitchers, which the Royals have absolutely no yeah. pitching system right now. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I get. I'm not saying that they have, they have nobody in the system that's going to ever produce because I I like Kalili a lot. I think Melendez is, is a really good talent. Um, I think Prado could be could be something. Um, there's a couple other guys that are probably dark horses, but but yeah, I don't. I think it's hard to deny this is not a very good farm system right now, and yeah, they have a lot of work to do. So. And there's that kind of post talk analysis you'll get a lot with. It's like. Um, you know, if Kalirli or Matias, who, you know, either one of them are arguably fringe top 100, might end up as 99 or 98 or something on, a, on an upcoming top 100. You know, if they make a list, then it suddenly becomes, oh, well, they were just underrating our system. You know, it's not as bad as they thought. The experts are wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like those lists were put together knowing the information they already know. You know, if they, if they knew Matias was going to hit 15 home runs, then yeah, they would have ranked him higher. Or if they knew that you know Melendez was going to have a 700 slugging percentage, yeah, they would have ranked him higher. But they had to prove that. So I think that's part of the issue where you know you think that oh, this system system is wrong. The experts are wrong. Blah blah blah. You know we've got these guys are performing well. It's like well yeah, but those rankings were put together without that information. So you add information, things change. Um, and, well, right. And also, like a lot of the guys. That are on the list this year are not going to be on the list next year. Ronald, Ronald Acuna is not going to be on next year's yeah. list. So there's been some attrition that have, yeah. has went, you know, dwindled that list down to 80. Yeah. So of course you're going to add 20 new names to that list, and yeah, Melendez and Prado and Lee could be on that list, but yeah. that doesn't mean they were necessarily one of the top whatever right. and prospects part of, last year. Yeah, and some of the other kind of you know maybe not uh, some of the other maybe bad argument. I don't know how to say it, but um, when you look at like you know. MLB ranks it by position. MLB pipeline does so. It's like, oh, well, Prado's the fourth best first baseman in you know fourth fourth best first base prospect in baseball. It's like, okay, but like the best first base prospect is they don't even know if he's going to be a hitter or a pitcher. It's Brendan McKay who plays both, and then like everybody after him is like, you know, 80th number 80 and number 90. It's like you're not exactly talking about a super deep position to begin with. So being the fourth or fifth best first base prospect isn't exactly like killing it. And it's the same thing with like Melendez, who I think, uh, I think he's the seventh or eighth best catching prospect. It's like, okay. But I mean, like even then it's not like that's a super deep position, like outfield or like right-handed pitching, you know, they're not non prospects, obviously, but being like the eighth best, catching prospect in a not extremely deep catching class isn't, you know, like, oh, the experts are wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's it's just like, you know, it is what it kind of is. So, and it's all, and they're all at the low levels too. And so, yeah. um, I don't know. I think that, I think it's just a bad argument to be like, oh, all the experts, quote unquote, experts are wrong. And here I know I'm ranting, but it's still, it's like, I don't know, that, the system is bad. I think people need to actually step up and recognize the system is not a good system. However you want to attack it. So. And like I said, you know, the yeah, experts aren't like 100% at yeah. predicting prospects. There's, and obviously, a lot of stuff you can't predict. Like a pitcher learns a, pitch, a new pitch at the major league level and suddenly, you know, he's a different, he's Corey Kluber. You know, like Corey Kluber wasn't on anyone's prospect list, but yeah. he had a different development path than a lot of guys take. And you can't expect 
you know, just some random double-eyed guys putting up pedestrian numbers to suddenly become that. Yeah. So, well, like and you said, it's just kind of on the, based on the information you have. Yeah, you know? and let's be honest. I mean, even if I said, if I said, no, 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 this system is a lot better than the experts say, who are you going to believe? Me, who has very few kind of sources, um, and I, I mean, I have, I have, I guess you could say probably three um, for my time with the Royals and kind of that I've made um, through kind of writing about prospects, or Keith Law, who goes yeah. to see these guys and talks to Royals executives and talks to scouts everywhere, or, you know, Kyle McDaniel and Eric Long. And, I mean, it's not like these guys aren't connected or they're just picking names out of a hat. I mean, these are expert opinions. So, I mean, if you want to say the experts are wrong, I'm sorry, random guy on Twitter, myself included, your opinion's not better than theirs. At least it's not as well informed as theirs, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, I think we do a pretty good job getting a survey of the land, and, and we try to be objective. But when it comes down to it, we are Royals fans. Yeah, we see the Royals all the time. Yeah, we don't necessarily know the Blue Jays farm system in and out. Yeah, Keith Law has a pretty good idea of what all thirty farm systems look like. Yeah, so he's better able to give an honest assessment, an objective assessment. Of, not not uh, to mention relative terms. Keith lives in Wilmington. Yeah, so he goes and sees Wilmington play thirty times a year. I think he says. So I mean, if he's if anybody's familiar with it, it's I mean it's it's Keith, uh, and yeah I mean yeah I we do and I mean Royals fans there's Mariner fans out there who think no this system's better than the experts thinks I mean everybody thinks that their system there's probably Braves fans and Padres fans who thinks no this system's better than the experts were having ranked <laughs> it's like what, there's number one and number two anyways I just all thirty teams should be ranked number one yes <laughs> well there were probably fans back in 2011 when they thought yeah. oh the Royal system is better than that. Christian Cologne's rank too low. You know, it's just <laughs> this is just what they do. I don't know. Anyways, okay. Well, all right. So that's a good, uh, it's a good little point um, with the draft. So as Max mentioned, yes, the draft is coming soon. The Royals have a ton of very important picks coming up. A very important day. Um, I'm assuming Max, we're going to have an open thread for draft time. Sure. Yeah, and I, I kind of want to do something a little different this year. I want to actually get people on the record with a shadow draft. Like, okay. Because, you know, I, I, I've always looked back at our draft threads, and, and we throw out a lot of names. Oh, I like this guy. I like this guy. Yeah. But, yeah, I want to hold us a little bit of accountable. Sure. Just uh, say, okay, I would, you know, pick number 18. I would take this guy. And there's maybe there's other guys you like, but yeah. I think that would just be interesting, and we can always look Definitely. back a year from now or yeah. five years from now. Because, yeah. um, uh, you know, we, we say, you know, Lonnie Goldberg should be better at his job. And, and look, he's a professional. But, you know, I, I think people don't – sometimes don't understand how hard it yeah. is to to pick these guys. I mean, like, in the first round, what, 28 guys are going to pick next week in the first round, and, like, half of them will never make the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. Which is just kind of crazy when you think about the NFL and the NBA. Right. Like, all, all those players will be – you know, yeah. you know, in the league, and like half these guys won't even play in the big leagues. Yeah. And of the half that do, you know, maybe ten will be pretty good players, and maybe four or five will be all stars. Like, yeah. And it's just kind of, you know, I think your odds are pretty good if you have the first five picks, and after that, it's kind of, it's it's a lot harder. It's, yeah, it's, definitely. It's a lot of hit and miss. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah, I do the every every June the week before the draft. John Sickles at MinorLeagueBall.com, one of our sister sites at SB Nation. He um, he runs a community shadow, a community mock draft where he gets basically a fan of every team to be the scouting director, make their choices. I do that every usually every year, so I'll be doing that again this year. So that's kind of like my de facto one. But last year I think I missed it, um, so I had to do it in our live thread. I made my these are my guy picks. So yeah, I'm up for that definitely. Cool. 
And I, I, I don't think this is a done deal yet, but I think we may be doing something like that. The main SB Nation MLB site. Oh, cool. But I'll keep everyone posted on that. But that'll be, I think, kind of fun to do more mock drafts yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, and we'll definitely have a lot of draft coverage. Yeah. I know you're coming out with an article about your favorites. Yeah. We'll be pre- kind of previewing each position by position. And, of course, we'll have the big draft open thread next week. The draft will be, uh, I believe it's next uh, June 4th, 5th, and 6th. Yep. And uh, we'll be covering it all. Yep. I will be in Japan during it, and I will be waking up at 7 a.m. to do the draft on on what will – well, actually, it will be Tuesday. Wait, wait. Is the draft on Monday or Tuesday? I believe it's a Tuesday. June 4th is a Monday. Monday. Yeah. So I will be be up at 7 a.m. on Tuesday to watch the draft that's taking place, you know. Whatever. What much? That is our commitment to you, the the reader. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, perfect. Uh, so, as always, um, thank you, Max, for coming on. You guys can obviously continue to read our site. You can follow Max on his great Twitter, where he has the best takes. He's got. The, he knows words. The hottest. The he, hottest yeah, takes. he knows the best words. He has the best takes, <laughs> and he's just simply uh, Max Reaper on Twitter. M A X R I E P E R. Right. Awesome. And then um, I'm Sean Dukrick, as always. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Sean Core, S H A U N C O R E. And um, yeah, as as usual, uh, stay tuned for more stuff, more podcasts. Thanks for sticking with us, reading, um, listening to our podcast. And uh, if you can't, if you're part of the commenting community, thanks as always, and uh, have many uh, many good days. <laughs>